We're going to be glimpsing at two chapters of Acts today, chapter 13 and 14. It would be really helpful if you had a Bible open in front of you so that you can follow along as we look at this together. Uh, and I'm going to pray for us before we do. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are at work in this world. Thank you that we can read these passages and hear about the incredible things that you have done in bringing people into your kingdom. We want to pray that you give us wisdom now as we look at this. Help us to see how this uh, can encourage us as we seek to serve and follow your son, Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Anytime a singer or a band uh, releases a new CD or wants to promote their music, uh, they'll get started on a tour. The bigger the band, the bigger the tour. Taylor Swift is probably the biggest name in pop music at the moment, and she's just about to embark on a world tour. Uh, tours like that are a huge undertaking. Uh, there's a massive team of people who are moving all of the equipment. There's an incredible number of days. She's, she's already locked in for 78 concerts between now and August next year, all planned and, 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 uh, and booked up. There is a rumour, and it's only a rumour, and don't get me wrong, I'm not a huge Taylor Swift fan, but there is a rumour that she has 90 semi-trailers that arrive to set up the stage for the show. That's how mammoth this thing is. This morning we're picking up the story of the book of Acts, and we're starting in chapter 13 and looking at these two chapters, 13 and 14. But we're picking up the story at a fairly crucial point. The gospel is about to go on tour in a way that it hasn't up to this point in the history of the church. But before we jump into chapter 13, we need to get you on up to speed on what's happened so far. So we're going to go right back to the very first chapter of Acts. If you've got your Bible there, you can flick it back there. I'm going to refer to a couple of verses. But uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John gave us the story, the account of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And Acts picks up following on straight after that. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus is just about to return to heaven and he is sitting with his disciples, explaining them what the plan is from here. And they have a question for him. And it's there in chapter 1 of Acts, verse number 6. So when they met together, they asked him, that is, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? The disciples knew that the work of Jesus wasn't finished, but they really weren't very clear on exactly what it was that Jesus was going to do. They knew that the kingdom hadn't come completely. And Jesus' response was this. It's important to watch this carefully. Starting there in verse 7, he says, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you see what he's saying there? Jesus is saying, I'm not going to build the kingdom. You are. The work is going to be the disciples and the followers of Jesus. They will be the ones that will establish this kingdom. But they're not alone. The Holy Spirit will be given to them. The Holy Spirit will empower them. The Holy Spirit will enable them to be witnesses for Jesus. God's kingdom will come as people hear and believe the good news 
about Jesus. God's kingdom comes as people accept Jesus as king. And Jesus even outlines what the program's going to be for the disciples. Did you see it there in verse number eight? They will begin to bear witness in Jerusalem and then to Judea, which is the southern part of the old kingdom of Israel. And then they will go to Samaria, which is the northern part of the old kingdom of Israel. And from there, they'll take it to the ends of the earth. But there's one more significant event that's going to happen in Acts before we get to chapter 13 that we just need to mention now. And that's the conversion of Saul, the man that we know as Paul. We read about it in Acts chapter 9. I don't want to go there now. But it's important to recognise that, that God has a really incredible good sense of humour because he chooses Saul, good Jewish boy, persecutor of the Christians. He's chosen him to be the kind of lead missionary in taking the gospel to the Gentiles. God opens Saul's eyes to see who Jesus is and Saul becomes a follower of Jesus. And he's going to be the apostle to the Gentiles. I'm sure his mother and father would have been very, very proud to hear that this good Jewish boy is going to be the one who takes the gospel to the Gentile world. By the end of chapter 9, rather than persecuting Christians, he has become a follower of Jesus and he's taken on this job. So, chapter 13, starting at verse number 1. In the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers and then it gives you a list of the names of the people. And then verse 2 says, While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Kind of, aren't you expecting something a bit more dramatic than that? They just said, okay, uh, you two, let's pray for you and off you shoot. There's a whole world out there that needs to hear about Jesus. I mean, it's a fairly big event that's happening here. Uh, back a few years ago, 17th of December 1903, two brothers named Orville and Wilbur managed to do something that no one had ever done before. They achieved powered flight. They built an aircraft, fitted it with a motor, and they were able to get it to take off and to fly. I suppose when you look at it now, it doesn't look like very much. I mean, it was only in the air for 59 seconds. It didn't even make it to one minute. And they only travelled about 40 metres. But this is, some, this is the beginning of something that is going to become huge. Did you know that today there will be 100,000 planes in the air carrying people all around the world to different countries and different parts of their own country? See, what the Wright brothers kicked off became huge. And that's what we're going to see as we move through this book of Acts. Two men, Paul and Barnabas, have been sent out by the church in Antioch. It may seem small and insignificant. I doubt that anyone outside of the church in Antioch would have even known that it had happened. But this is huge. This will change the world forever. For the first time, a church is sending people out to tell others about Jesus. And what we have in chapter 13 and 14 is an account of this missionary tour. Uh, here's a map showing you where they 
uh, travelled, only a short distance at this point in time, around about 2,000 kilometres they covered all the way out and then retracing their steps to come back. The whole trip, given that they didn't have cars or motorised transport to get around, it took them 18 months to visit all of these places and spend some time there. But I want you to notice the mixed responses that we get to this gospel message. So it starts chapter 12, they go to Cyprus. Paul uh, stops on the island of Cyprus and the mayor of Cyprus, a man by the name of Sergius Paulus, heard about Paul and Barnabas and he was really keen to meet them and hear what they had to say. But the mayor had a sorcerer on his staff, seems there's a little change with local government, and the sorcerer wasn't that keen on Paul, seeing the, uh, Paul and Barnabas seeing his boss. He wasn't very keen for them to speak to the proconsul. The sorcerer confronted Paul, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul was able to defeat the sorcerer at his own game. Uh, Paul caused him to, glow, to go blind for a short time and then restored his sight. But we're told that the governor was amazed, but I want you to notice what it was that he was amazed by. Have a look at it. Chapter 13, verse number 12. When the proconsul saw what had happened, that's making him blind, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Now, I have no doubt that he was amazed by the miracle as well, but I suppose it's probably not, miracles aren't going to be that significant if you've got a sorcerer on your staff, but they're amazed by the message about Jesus. That's what they believe. Not the miracle, what they believed is the truth about Jesus. Starting in verse 13, we head off uh, from Cyprus to the mainland, to Antioch, and on the Sabbath, they went into the synagogue, uh, which is the logical place to go, logical starting point. If you, if you know that Jesus has come, why not go into the room where people are praying for God to send his saviour? Because you can tell them he has, he's here. Uh, have a quick look at the speech, uh, chapter 13, verse, verse 16. Do you see all of the Old Testament quotes that Paul has in his speech? He's showing them from the scripture that Jesus is the saviour that God had promised. Paul's speech generated a lot of interest. In verse 44, it says that on that Sabbath, the whole town gathered to hear what Paul had to say. But by this time, opposition had also rounded up a few people. Some of the Jewish leaders didn't like what Paul was saying. They were jealous of Paul and the huge crowd that he was able to attract and they try to stir up some, some trouble for him. Paul leaves the synagogue and uh, preaches to the people who do want to listen to him. But he makes a rather cutting remark before he goes. Verse 46, he says this, Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it, and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. Jump over to chapter 14, verse 8, off to a place called Lystra. After being threatened with violence in Iconium, Paul and Barnabas uh, moved to the town of Lystra, uh, where they're met with, uh, with an, another uh, opposite response to what they've seen in the previous town. Paul healed a crippled man in the town and the people think that Paul and, uh, is, a, is a god 
and they start worshipping him as a god. But have a look there in verse 19. Some of the Jewish leaders who had made trouble for Paul in the other towns followed him to Lystra and this time they are determined to get rid of him. They managed to whip up a crowd to get them to stone Paul. This is one of the amazing things in this little passage, how fickle people can be. To begin with, they're lapping up everything that Paul has to say, but just a few verses later, they're collecting rocks to try and stone him to death. Kind of reminds you of how fickle the people were in Jerusalem with Jesus. He arrives in town and they're proclaiming him as the king, but a few days later, they're calling for him to be crucified. Well, the first missionary tour uh, takes them to the town of Derby, and then they retrace their steps, their steps, and they're back in Antioch. As I said, it was a trip of around about 2,000 kilometres, and you get a summary there in chapter 14, verses 27 and 28. On arrival, this is back in Antioch. They gathered the church and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. This has been a, a major step for the church. The gospel message is now going out to the entire world. It's the message that Jesus is the king of the world and it's a message that everyone needs to acknowledge. Like I said, 13 and 14 probably would have gone unnoticed even in its own day. I mean, but here we are sitting in a church in Australia because people were committed to taking that gospel message to the rest of the world. Paul and Barnabas started a work here that's still happening today, taking that message to the ends of the earth, taking that message to those who have not yet believed. Let me finish with a couple of practical things uh, that we can learn from this passage. First one is this. We should still expect a mixed response to the preaching of the gospel. In these two chapters of Acts, we see Paul and Barnabas preach the gospel in six different cities and towns, and each time they get a different response. Sometimes people believe, sometimes they're interested to hear more, sometimes they're indifferent, and sometimes they're hostile. That's one of the amazing things about the gospel, is when you start to talk to people about Jesus, there will be that mixed response. For some people, their eyes will glaze over, some people will be interested to find out more. Some people may be angry by what you have to say. Everyone makes some kind of response to the gospel, from complete acceptance to complete rejection and everything in between. Number two, being a missionary is not easy. Some of you know this man, Rowan Butler, he moved to Nepal and lived there for 20 years. He had, had to work through all of the struggles and stresses of being so far away from home. Uh, Nepal is kind of not on the way to anywhere else, so very few people visited him in the 20 years that he was there. It was home for 20 years, a long way from the home that he'd grown up in. Nepal is that isolated place. Graham and Wendy Toolman. 
Uh, we've had them speaking here to us about their work. Uh, when their kids were very, very young, they took them to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Uh, anything but democratic, not really a, a republic either. Uh, but they took their children there, uh, very young age. Uh, it's an incredibly dangerous place, the Congo. They, they gave me this little video, a friend of theirs had made it, just to show what 60 seconds in the Congo looks like. Some of you would have seen this, but here it is again. Much about the Congo that is stunning and beautiful, but still an incredibly dangerous place. Uh, the Tillmans went back there in his retirement. He had to get special permission as someone over 65 years of age to go with CMS uh, to work back in the Congo. They went there not because it was safe and cosy. They didn't do it because they loved the climate. They went there to help the church. They went there for the sake of the gospel. And we should thank those people for being willing to do that. And we should seek to support those people who are willing to take the gospel to those tough places. Third thing is this. The kingdom has not yet come completely. God's kingdom is still being established as churches continue to do the work that they did in Antioch, sending people out with the gospel. How do you measure the health of a church? Is it bums on seats? Is it dollars in the bank? Or do you measure it by how much you like the music? If we want to measure the health of a church, then a large part of that measurement will be our commitment to sharing the gospel. A seemingly small thing happened in this tiny little church in Antioch 2,000 years ago. Two men were sent out to tell other people about Jesus. We meet here today because that church in Turkey decided that the gospel was an important message for everyone to hear. And the gospel still needs to go to Nepal, to the Congo, to Balmain. We meet here today because that church in Antioch were committed to sharing that good news about Jesus and the forgiveness and the life that's found in him. And we meet here today with that same mission at our core to bear witness to Jesus wherever people need to hear that good news. Leslie's going to pray for us.